Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. Now join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. Did God bless the Hebrew midwives for deceiving Pharaoh? That is the question that we will ask and hope to answer on this episode of Word Matters. I'm Brandon Smith, alongside my co-host, as always, Trevin Wax, uh, and we are going to discuss Exodus 1, 8 to 22 on this uh, this topic of the Hebrew midwives trying to protect babies from Pharaoh and whether or not that was okay or not. Yes, this is a passage of scripture that is, well, I mean, it's horrifying in many ways. It's it, it's inspiring in some ways, and it's perplexing in a key <laughs> sense. So yep. it's all of these things at once. Uh, we were just talking before we started recording how we're surprised we haven't gotten to this one yet. <laughs> this one shows up in quite a few Christian ethics textbooks, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Um, But but anyway, the reason this passage is horrifying is because it describes the enslavement and then the murder of God's people. Uh, The reason it's inspiring is because you see these two women leading a a heroic resistance to the the regime of death. Uh, The reason it's perplexing is because it appears that they are deceptive in what they say, and then God approves of their actions here, which leads to the question, is there ever a good time to tell a lie? Does God approve of deception in some circumstances? So so when I told you that you did a good job on our last podcast recording, if I was lying, do you think God approved that or not? No, okay. I, I don't. I was telling the truth, though. You're so great. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think anyone was threatening life or death there. So, yeah. <laughs> Fair point. Okay, well, let me go ahead and read um, the text. Uh, Exodus 1, verses 8 to 22 in the CSB. And then, uh, Trevin, maybe you can pick up halfway through since okay. this is a little bit of text. Uh, okay, starting in verse 8. A new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further, and when war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread out so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and in all kinds of field work. They ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. Okay, pick it up in verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, the first whose name was Shifra and the second whose name was Puah, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. They let the they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this and let the boys live? The midwife said to Pharaoh, The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very numerous. Since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Pharaoh then commanded all his people you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. Should we do a podcast episode on what it means for the Hebrew wives to be vigorous in childbirth and how they give they have babies so fast? Is there like a 
a miracle in there or something? I think I this is the point of today's podcast. Oh, Were okay. they really telling the truth there? <laughs> right. Okay, so like you said, this is an ethical question, right? This is any intro to ethics class you might take in seminary or any textbook you might read. Uh, this is one of those, it's almost like a softball. It's a hard question, but it's a softball. Like, this is obviously a dilemma. It's like what a do textbook. You do with it? It's what we call the textbook, the textbook example. Case. Yeah. Yes. So the text, the text explains how these midwives uh, fooled Pharaoh. But then it says that God was good to the midwives, and since they fear God, he gave them families. So so God does seem to bless these midwives for the deception, uh, even though, obviously, elsewhere, God is condemning lying all over the place. So. Right. So let's take a look at different ways that people have interpreted this over the centuries. The, the first view is that the midwives lied, but in this case, the lie is tolerated. The lie wasn't from a malicious heart. It came from a kind heart. Um, it, this view would say God doesn't approve of the lie. He approves of the heart behind it. The reward is because they feared God, not because they lied. So here's Augustine, uh, his take on this, giving some, some wiggle room for interpretation here, but also separating the heart of mercy and the lie itself, making sure that in this case, the act of lying is not praised, only pardoned. Uh, Augustine says this, Scripture says that God favored the midwives. It is unclear whether God in his mercy pardoned the lie or judged that the lie itself deserved a reward. For the midwives did one thing by letting the infant boys live and another by lying to Pharaoh. In letting them live, they performed a work of mercy, but they used that lie for their own ends, to keep Pharaoh from harming the infants. This act could be the occasion not for praise, but for pardon. And leave it to Augustine to lay out a view. I mean, that's a, well, that is a, that's a very great popular way to say view. It. Yes. Yep. Okay, second view uh, makes the case that the lying or deception here is absolutely unacceptable and that God does not in any way tolerate it. So Gregory the Great, um, another great church father, actually takes the reward uh, they receive from God here and says it's a lower reward so that their heavenly treasure was kind of demoted to an earthly treasure. So it's not like this really great blessing. It's kind of like a, a mediocre secondary blessing uh, because of their action, because of what they did. So so Calvin actually believed that the lying was unacceptable and displeased God, uh, but that God still rewarded them for a good outcome. Uh, since for Calvin, you know, none of our good deeds are free from impurity. Can't do anything good without a little bit of taint in there from sin. Uh, so God rewards good deeds, even if there is sin involved. Uh, so this would be similar to the idea of, you know, Corrie ten Boom, where she hid the Jews in, in a secret room uh, in her house away from the Nazis. She did lie when she asked it, when she was asked about them. Uh, but also, you know, she considered that lie to be a sin that needed forgiveness. She even said, look, I think it was a lie. I probably should have been forgiven for that. Uh, but she did see that the sin was less serious than giving up the Jews to the Nazis. Uh, and that ultimately that was the only way forward, right? She was like, I'm just going to ask God for forgiveness later, but there's no way I could not do this. Right. So the lying is evil, but it's the lesser of two evils. Yeah. That's kind of the second view. Okay. The third view is that the Hebrew midwives didn't actually lie at all. They were, in fact, telling the truth about how strong the Hebrew women were, but they did this in a way that mocked Pharaoh and showed their reliance on God alone. They showed through this act, we could call it um, an act of creative disobedience, that God alone is to be feared. Maybe maybe they conspired with the Israelite women to not be called until the baby would already be born, you know, so that they wouldn't have to carry out Pharaoh's mm. decree. And so in this moment, they were showing a sense of humor in how they responded because they're basically saying, hey, you know what? These lowly Hebrew midwives, these holy, uh, these lowly midwives, uh, sorry, these lowly Hebrew slaves are mightier than the Egyptian empire. We can't, we, they, they're so vigorous in childbirth. So they're, they're, <laughs> Maybe that's what it means. There we go. Finally yeah. found it. So that's, that's the third view. They didn't lie. They were being creatively clever yeah. in how they avoided carrying out Pharaoh's deeds. Okay. So fourth view um, is that the deception uh, is like a type of resistance toward evil. Okay. So it's not only tolerated, but approved. 
Uh, so God wouldn't just say, oh, I'll pardon you for this. He actually approves of this act. So according to this view, the, the Bible does not make distinctions between the Hebrew midwives fearing God and fooling Pharaoh, right? So their deception was resistance to an evil empire, and God always approves of this. Uh, so for example, if you're a homeowner and you have you know, timers on your light system at home to make potential robbers think you're at home and thus deter them from doing evil, then you're deceiving in one sense, but this is not wrong, okay? Because you're seeking to avoid evil through a type of resistance. Uh, so you don't owe the robber the truth. You don't owe the robber a schedule of when you'll be in and out of your house, right? Uh, so like in a similar situation, we'd say that, you know, these undercover videos um, of Planned Parenthood that have come out, uh, the idea is to expose evil, right? And so they're acceptable because they're part of a resistance to great evil. So scripture permits deception, uh, according to this view, in certain cases of resistance to evil. And this is obviously going to be one of those cases. Uh, so the Pharaoh was using his authority illegitimately, and therefore the midwives were approved of in their resistance to that illegitimate authority. Okay, so you, there you have it. Four views on this complicated portion of scripture. Let me let me just recap them really quickly. The first view is that the midwives lied, but in this case, the lie was tolerated. The second view, that the lying is unacceptable, uh, that God did not tolerate it, but it's the lesser of two evils. The third view, that they didn't actually lie at all. And the fourth view is that this kind of deception is a resisting of evil that is approved of and praised by God. So out of those four, Brandon, where are you? Yeah, I uh, so I like the first option the best, although I don't really have an issue with the fourth option because they're kind of similar in some ways. But um, I think the text is clear, you know, that God blesses these midwives. Uh, the midwives acted out of a godly conviction, which was the right thing to do. I don't think there's any indication in this passage or anywhere else that God would have preferred uh, these babies be killed, right? So we don't want to say that. Um, I lean a little toward the first view, though, only because I think lying ultimately is part of a broken world. And so if sin had not entered the world, lying would not be in existence. Therefore, this situation would actually not even be a real situation had sin never entered the world, right? Uh, so that this lie by the midwives is the best option in a broken world, uh, but not something that would necessarily be God's best. If that makes sense. So, so because in a literally perfect world where there was no sin, there'd be no need to lie to protect babies uh, from being slaughtered. So um, I don't know if I would say they need forgiveness from sins necessarily, but I would say it's not just a lesser of two evils, but it's more like, yes, this was a lie. Yes, this was deception. But given a broken world, these are the type of things that have to happen uh, in order for justice to reign and that kind of stuff. So okay. that makes well, sense. Well, that view has a long pedigree. Um, I don't completely agree with it, but I think it has... A, a lot of a, a lot of ethicists actually believe that 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 view. So you're in good company. There. I am an ethical man after uh, all. So. I I think the fourth view is the right one. That there are cases where deception is not truly lying because the of the overall resistance to evil in question, or the idea that that the truth is not owed to people who have been illegitimate in their in their use of authorities. But at the same time, I will say this: I I do think we need to have something of a break system on that fourth view, uh, because I, I'm afraid it could be used to justify all sorts of subterfuge. Yeah. Uh, could it, you, could you uh, define subterfuge for our audience, please? Spying, lying, <laughs> okay. deceiving, gotcha. deception, undermining, you know, uh, if, if there's not, if we don't strictly limit this to exceptional circumstances, uh, it could be used to justify anything. So I think it's good to have the first view, like you, like your view, this is why I'm, I want to pat you on the back for that. Uh, the view that the lie may be tolerated, but it is not necessarily praised. I think it's good to have that in the back of our mind that when we lift up people like Corey Ten Boom or the people who hid Anne Frank's family or like the Hebrew midwives here as examples, we say these were heroic people who resisted evil, 
But I, I don't think we concentrate and praise the undercover action. Um, I, we admire them because of how they feared God more than the earthly tyrant and because they were creative in how they resisted injustice. I think we've got to make a distinction there between what exactly we're praising. Okay. So let's, um, let's shift gears here a little bit, talk about uh, how we would handle it uh, if we're preaching or teaching. Um, so what I would say is, you know, what, what the Hebrew midwives did ultimately is entirely justifiable, and I would absolutely recommend anybody in that position to do exactly what they did, right? There's no, no doubt about that. Um, like you said, you do have to be careful with this, right? You don't want people to find excuses to lie or try to figure out ways to, well, is this technically deception? Is this technically lie? Is a lie and deception the same thing? You know, et cetera. But I think you do need to help people understand uh, that morality in a broken world is often gray. It's not always black and white. There are some things that are very black and white. And there are some situations like this where you think, man, there is this is kind of one way or another, this could be good or bad. This could be ethical or unethical. Uh, so I think on, on the one hand, we don't want to, uh, we want to talk about making the best of two imperfect situations and try to help people think through biblically, what does that look like? Uh, how do you be sensitive to the Holy Spirit uh, in times like this? Because I think we're all going to be in these situations at some point or another, even if it's maybe not as as huge or as uh, as big of a deal as this Hebrew midwife situation seems. Uh, but, you know, the midwives were in a tough spot. Murder, deceit, right? They're going to do one or the other. Both are properly sins, properly um, wrong, uh, neither of which would be preferable, but they had to make a choice birthed out of biblical wisdom and I assume uh, prayer and sensitivity to God. So we want people to, you want to help them think, okay, it's not just black and white all the time, but that there's some wisdom here and thinking through lesser of two evils, best of two options, however you want to say that. Yeah, for for me, I'm I'm actually preaching on this passage soon, and I'm using the midwives as an example of how God's people resist being drawn into evil actions. You know, the the world wants us to compromise our beliefs at different points, but it takes shrewdness and wisdom um, and courage to figure out ways to avoid being drawn into the evil of this world. Um, and the other thing I'm going to mention in my sermon is that God names these women but we never learned the name of Pharaoh. Hmm. Uh, Pharaoh is just, you know, the name for king. It's just that generic name. So in God's take on things, these women are more important than the Pharaoh who commissioned the building of the Great Pyramids. We get these names instead of Pharaohs. It's such an upside down way of looking at the world, but very necessary for us to remember. God's way of counting of accounting is different from from other people's way of accounting things. And so I want people to be inspired by that resistance that is on display in their actions and uh, so that people will will see even even people that would seem ordinary or unimportant in in the world's eyes, God notices. God is watching. Yeah. And, and every every choice you make, every uh, good or bad choice you make, regardless of how important it seems, is a big deal in God's that's eyes. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, thanks, Trevin, for uh, talking through this with me and co-hosting. Thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Word Matters has been presented by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages, but clear for today's audience. Find out more at csbible.com.